Well, if you've sent the uh, We Need to Talk message to somebody this past week, or if it's been sent to you, I hope it doesn't work out like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and that you can find some better constructive ways to have that conversation besides guns and crashing cars. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is some of the how-tos. Last week we talked about how there are times when we need to have a talk. And uh, those are those times where, uh, I didn't mention it last week, I remember years ago uh, I was struggling whether or not to say, to say something to a friend of mine uh, who was in business and they were making a lot of really bad decisions. And having a conversation with another friend of mine, I was like, you know, I really feel like I should say something, but you know, it's really not my place. You, you've been in those moments like, is it my place to say something or not? What do you do when, when you're struggling with that? I never forget what he said. He looked at me and said, I said, Steve, are you his friend? I said, yeah. He says, friends don't let friends drive off a cliff. Period. Not, not relationally, uh, not spiritually, uh, not financially. You don't just sit there and watch. And like if, if you were on the side of a street, and let's just say you had, you had just come from the other direction and you saw that the bridge is out and you saw a friend of yours coming towards you, would you just wave at them as they drove right past you towards that bridge? No. I mean, you do everything short of getting in front of that car and stopping it. Uh, you would not want them to go over the edge of that cliff. And so if you think about this, when we talk about your know, friend or whatever, um, last week we talked about, you know, so who do I have a responsibility to? Uh, well, anybody you have a responsibility for. Uh, if it's somebody you are in a, in a relationship with, a committed relationship with, a child that, you're, that is in your care. Uh, it could be a, somebody who works for you, works with you, works alongside you. You have a responsibility to them. Uh, and then beyond that is, is, are you responsible for the people that they are impacting by their choices and decisions? Sometimes there are people you need to go and have a we need to talk to because their choices are impacting people within your care. Uh, years ago at a different church, I had somebody who chewed out somebody in our nursery and just was absolutely awful and evil to them. And so what do I do as a pastor? Just be like, oh, well, you know, it happens. No, I went to the person and said, you don't do that when you come here, and you need to apologize, um, commit to never do that again, or never set foot in this church again. Why? Because that person's under my care, and, and I can't just allow that kind of abuse to happen and just let it go on. And so there's those times where you have to have that we need to talk moment. Uh, next week, I'll be giving you some of the uh, sort of more proverbial guidelines uh, for how to have these kind of conversations. Uh, the Proverbs are just tons of quick hits of wisdom. We'll be going through that. This morning, though, I want to kind of talk about the overall guiding principle for having a we-need-to-talk conversation. Um, and for that, I, I want to look to Jesus. If there's anybody who had a lot of critical, crucial conversations, a lot of those hard we-need-to-talk conversations, it was Jesus. He was constantly just calling people out. Uh, if you think about some of the decisions or some of the conversations he had that were hard conversations, he has a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus who's a Pharisee. This is a guy who prides himself on knowing everything there is to know about God. And he's having a conversation with him, and this guy has no clue he's talking to Jesus Christ, God of very gods. At what point does Jesus have to look at him and go, you don't know what you think you know about God. If you did, you'd know who I was. And it's in this conversation where he's talking about this guy's misunderstanding of, of what God is about and what God's purpose is in this world that he says to him, a very famous passage many of you all know, it's, for God so loved the world. He sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the son in the world to condemn the world. You see, Nicodemus, you're all about that condemnation and you, 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 don't, ha you don't understand God's heart. And so he has to have a real serious conversation with him, a heart-to-heart -heart kind of conversation. 
Uh, he has other ones, uh, sometimes very publicly. There's a woman who was caught in adultery, and he's thrown out before Jesus' feet. I think it's in John chapter 8. And what are we going to do? Are we going to stone her? Law says a stoner. What do we do? In that moment, he has a very critical conversation with both the crowd and with the woman. And he calls the crowd out for their hypocrisy. He was without sin, cast the first stone. But then he also turns to the woman and he says, I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. He still calls out her sin. He doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't have been brought here in the first place. I'm so sorry you had to go through this. No, he calls it out and says, what brought you out here shouldn't be something that should be bringing you out here, period. Uh, so just go and leave your life of sin. Uh, he has another critical conversation with another woman in the book of John. I think in John chapter 4, uh, there's a woman uh, who's there coming at a later time in the day because of her shame and embarrassment amongst people in the community. And Jesus has a conversation with her, and he calls her out, and he says, hey, you know, tell me about your husband. Oh, I don't have one. Oh, I know. You, you, you've been married five times, and you're working on number six, and you're shacking up with him right now, right? That's pretty bold, right? But he also looks at her and he says, you know, if you had a relationship with me, you wouldn't have to come here uh, for water. You would have a spring of living water that comes up from within you that will last for all eternity. And he's offering her this. And then you, you know what's crazy about this? After Jesus calls her out, she goes and tells everybody in town that she's met the Messiah, the sent one of God. And she, what does she say? She says, he told me everything I ever did. What she used to be so ashamed and embarrassed about, somehow, some way in the conversation she had with Jesus, it changed her view on her past. Not because Jesus avoided it, not because he didn't call her out on it, but because he did it in such a, a loving way. Uh, you can go through multiple times. I mean, how many times does he call Peter out again and again and again and again? And of course, most of you all know my favorite passage on all of the Bible. I say it a lot. Uh, but really, my favorite passage is John 21, where after, G after Peter has said, oh, if everybody else falls away, I never will. Peter denies him. And three times on the beach, just like three times he was denied, three times on the beach, he says, do you agape me? He's like, no, I phileo you. Do you agape me? No, I phileo you. He's like, all right, do you phileo me? Yeah. That's okay, Peter. One day you'll agape me. I mean, such a gentle and sweet and kind love and rebuke. The first time he says it, he says, Peter, do you really agape me more than all these? Remember, he's calling him out. He's calling him out for what he said that wasn't true. But he does it in such a loving and tender way. Um, he does it with Martha. Remember Martha? She's all focused on wanting to do the dishes. And how come Mary ain't doing the dishes with me? And he has to look at Martha, 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 Martha. You're all worried about the wrong thing, right? Um, if only her name was Marcia. Anyways, um, <laughs> there's the rich young ruler. We'll get back to him in a little bit. Here's a guy who's so confident he's done everything right that God's got to have his approval on him. And Jesus has to tell him the hard truth. No, you've missed it. You don't have a relationship with God. And so he tells him the hard truth. He says, one thing you lack, sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Not an easy moment. Jesus never backed down from having that we need to talk conversation. Because he wouldn't allow that guy to come into his presence, driving off a cliff for all eternity where he doesn't have a relationship with God. After all, this life is about what? Nothing more than having a love relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity. And this guy comes to him and says, isn't life all about doing all the right stuff? Isn't life all about going to church and making sure I got everything nailed down? Because Jesus in that moment says, wow, keep at it, buddy. I don't want to tell you that you're wrong. No, out of love, he doesn't let this guy drive off a cliff for all eternity. Out of love, he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, she's doing the right thing. Now, what, what the two of them didn't know in that moment is Jesus' days on earth were numbered. You can do dishes anytime. Listen up, mom and dad, right, kids? You, we can do dishes anytime. I, I can only watch the, the, the game right now. Um, 
But he's saying, listen, you only have a little bit of time with me. Uh, and and so he goes through it every single time. He, he, he focuses in on that. Why? Because he doesn't want the woman who was caught in adultery to be back in that place again. He doesn't want the woman in the, uh, coming to the well in the afternoon to have to keep coming to the well in the afternoon. He doesn't want Peter to ever go away thinking that he's, he's blown it and can't be used by God anymore. He loves them too much to watch them drive, drive off a cliff. And when John, watching all of this, later on, he looks back and reflects on all this, and he's trying to describe what it was like to be around Jesus, the guy who called people out all the time. He never backed down from calling people out in their sin. And yet at the same time, the most sinful people in society love to be around them, which is clearly something different than what's happened in our community and our culture nowadays. And he talks about Jesus. He was, he says what he's describing in John chapter 1, verse 14, and introducing him to his audience. He says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was the embodiment of both. Now, for most of us, we think we got to choose. We're either going to tell the truth or we're going to be loving because we can't do both, right? And there's two people out there. There's two camps when it comes to an issue or a problem that needs to come up, that we need to talk moment. There are some of you, when I talked last week about the we need to talk, you thought about it and said, we really do, but I can't, right? I really should, but I don't think it'd be the right thing to do. There's other you're like, darn right it is. That's all the excuse I need. I, I ain't going to listen to anything else you say. I'm sending it right now. Because you're all about calling people out, right? Because that's your, it's your motto in life. That's your, it's your you know, I'm going to call sin a sin. I'm not going to back down from it, you know? God's word says it. I agree with it. I'm going to point it out. You know, after all, I just tell it like it is. I keeps it real, all right? It's always going to be 100% with me. I'm not going to back down from it. I just call it like I see it. You know, I... Some people just need some constructive criticism. Because it's always very constructive when you criticize, always. Um, you, know what, you know what you need? You need me to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's like the classic person you're playing golf. Want me to tell you what you're doing wrong? The other parent in the house, want me to tell you what you're doing wrong? Um, but after all, this is somebody who looks at their life and says, I'm just living in reality. You know, you can either join me in reality or stay in your fantasy. If you want to live in the real world, join me. If not, go somewhere else. And in the end, we look at people who are just all truth, all truth, all truth, and we say these people are intolerant, they're judgmental, they're legalistic, they're closed-minded, they're Republican. <laughs> There's other people, though, who come back and they're very loving. They're very full of grace. And they look at people and they say, you know, nobody's perfect. We've just got to love them where they're at. We've got to give them room to grow, room to express themselves. At the end of the day, isn't the relationship more important than rules and being right? Uh, I struggled with this years ago. My, my kids, when they first started playing soccer, the very first soccer team, they were like, I don't know, four years old. I mean, their shin guards went from their ankle up past their knee, right? Because you can't find one that small. At least I couldn't. And I went to practice. I love soccer. It's my favorite sport to play, favorite sport to watch. And I went to the practice and... They were playing tag. Not with the ball. Put the balls aside. We're all going to play a big game of tag. And I'm watching this going, this isn't soccer. What are we doing? This isn't soccer. And so I asked my wife, what are we doing? They're not, they're not playing soccer. She's like, well, I don't know. I mean, he's, the coach was from England. You know, it's almost like it's hard to question. A, like, <laughs> you don't want to tell a European they don't know anything about soccer. Just, you just sort of assume they know, right? So I'm like, but I, 
I played soccer my life. We never played tag at practice. So I did what everybody should do in the situation. I went straight up and had to confront every other parent <laughs> with our coach's decisions. Because that's what we do, right? We talked about that last week. Instead of confronting the coach, I would just talk to all the parents so I can build a coalition of parents who can then unanimously tell the coach he doesn't know what he's doing. And in the midst of my coalition building, one mom said something to me that was so in this camp. She says, I don't know what Coach Buzz is doing exactly, but I can tell you this. I think what he's doing is he's getting our kids to love soccer because my son loves going to practice. And I thought to myself, but they're not playing soccer. <laughs> Whatever he's loving is not soccer. It's because I was on the truth side, if you can't tell where I usually fall on this. But you know, my kid at the end of the season loved soccer and signed up for it again and still loves soccer. So I don't know, maybe he was doing something right. See, I still have a hard time confessing the other side of this because he was all about building the teamwork and the relational building and getting them to love it and be a part of it and look forward to it. Um, and he valued the, the relationships that he was building with the kids and they were building with each other on the team over you know, whether or not this is, you know, learning the rules of soccer and whether this was the right or the wrong way uh, to teach things. Uh, you know, they always give people room to grow. Uh, they're always full of forgiveness. Uh, they understand that everybody's hurting. Uh, they don't want to add to the hurt. Uh, they value their friendship more than correcting things. Um, they want everybody to win, even if they didn't put forth the right effort, even if they really failed. This is why everybody gets a trophy, because of people like this who are just very, very loving and kind and affirming. We call these people pushovers, doormats, in denial, idealistic, open-minded, and Democrats. <laughs> now, before you feel like as if I'm saying one side is right or wrong, wrong, one side is better than the other, what was Jesus? Full of grace love, and he was also full of truth. He was, he was both at the same time. He was so open-minded, yet he was so narrow on things. Uh, he was so grace-filled and forgiving, yet he'd call people out for their sin. And, and somehow, some way, these tax collectors who were just the, 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 the people who had betrayed their own for the sake of their own profit and greed, and the most immoral of the community, loved to be around them. And he never once said, oh, it's okay what you're doing. Never once. He was full of grace and truth and said this, and James Jones looks at it, he says, this was something to marvel at. Um, you know, he says to that woman, neither do I continue, leave your life of sin. You got five husbands. I'm, I'm your well of water. Um, so when Paul is writing to the church, uh, in the uh, I Am Essential series recently, I, I mentioned some of these things. When he's writing to the church and how our, we have a responsibility as a church to one another. And he talks about how th that primary responsibility falls on all of you. All of you out there are the ones who need to be having these we need to talk conversations. My job as a pastor is to do what I did last week, to exhort you to have these conversations, to do what I'm doing this week, to train and equip you on how to have these conversations. But you're the one who needs to have these conversations. Don't call me up and go, hey, you really need to talk to my son. He won't listen to me. <laughs> oh, he's your son. If you look at the pattern in Matthew chapter 18, I'm the third option. 
I'm number three. You, you go you and them, you and another person and them, and then eventually you get to me. You don't call me first. I, I'm like option three. Then you can go. And I've had people come in, and we sit down, and we have that conversation down the road uh, of this confrontation. My job, though, is to equip you to do the ministry. Part of the ministry is help people mature in their relationship with God. If you look in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'll be turning over there in just a minute, uh, it's all this thing about how the job of a pastor is to equip you to do the ministry. And what is the ministry? Helping people to mature in their relationship with God. Uh, part of maturity is growth, where you become more like Jesus Christ. You live out uh, the principles of what you see Jesus living out. Uh, you begin to live your life in the truth, if you will. You move away from the immaturity and the dumb decision-making into maturity. And whose job is it uh, to come alongside people to help them mature and grow? Yours. My job is to exhort you to do that and to train and equip you to do that. But in Ephesians chapter 4, he says it's your job to go and do this. My job is just to equip you to go do it. And so in the midst of that, he says, you know, you need to go do this and, and do that um, to equip people to new maturity. Uh, he gets down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, and he says, speaking the truth in love. He's summarizing up what this looks like. And he says it's speaking the truth in love. The truth, we talked about that last week uh, over in Luke chapter 17. It says, when your brother sins, rebuke him. You've got to call it out. You have a responsibility to the people that you have a responsibility to, to rebuke them when they are going that way, when they're acting a fool, when you see them driving off a cliff. At the same time, over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, if your brother sins, gently restore them. So you call them out, but you also bring them back in. And it says to do it gently. Gently. Uh, that means you're restraining uh, some of the uh, brutality of the moment. Um, so, so how is it that we do this? I mean, is it really possible to speak the truth in love? I understand Jesus. He just did it naturally. He found a way to do it because, after all, he was Jesus. But how do we do it? How do we speak the truth in love? Now, for most of us, we don't think it's possible to actually speak the truth in love. That's why when I read that list earlier, you gravitated towards one or the other. One of those seemed more right to you than the other did. One of them seemed more your pattern than the other did. And the funny thing, though, is whichever side you're on, sometimes you will jump into the other side completely, right? We don't just stay in each one of these camps. Sometimes we'll jump from one to the other. There's a book I was reading talked about this issue in uh, leadership business dynamics. It's a book I read many years ago when I was having a lot of we-need-to-talk moments. Uh, it was a book, book called Crucial Conversations, and it talks about this, this struggle between the grace and the truth. Uh, they called it a sucker's choice. Uh, sucker's choice. In other words, you're a sucker because you're thinking you have to choose between one or the other. And when you do that, you mess everything up. Uh, and so this is a, a principle that Jesus teaches, a principle we see in the scripture, but it's also a principle that we see in the business world too. And I always say it like this. Truth is truth, right? It's not true just because God said it. Rather, God's only going to tell you what's true. So you have three options in life for, tr for finding truth. One, just listen to whatever God says and do it, right? Number two, learn the hard way over trial and error through your whole life. Eventually, you'll find truth, okay? Or three, spend thousands to millions of dollars doing all kinds of research for all kinds of, uh, of experts, and eventually, once they're honest with their results, they'll come back and find the exact same thing that God found. Sound about right? Or you can just short-circuit the whole process and go to what Jesus said. So these both come out somehow find a way to align it because both are seeking out truth and they both find it. And then they say it looks like this. We say things that are part of a sucker's choice. Do you want me to be nice or do you want me to be honest? That's a sucker's choice. 
What we just said there is, do you want me to do the loving thing or do you want me to tell you the truth? You know, should I tell you how I really feel or should I just be loyal? And think of all the bad decisions that get made because people choose loyalty over honesty. Sometimes you, you look at parking lots and you think, how on earth did they design the parking lot up there on Linhaven like that? Was there a meeting somewhere where somebody saw that and said, this is going to be an absolute disaster, but thought to themselves, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I want to be a team player. I don't want to make any waves on this. And then we all have to suffer every time we try to get our Chick-fil-A out of that parking lot. You with me on this? Because sometimes we look at these things, you know, these these suckers' choices, um, you know, who's going to win this argument, me or you? When the only focus is who's going to win the argument, me or you, you know who loses? Everybody else. When it's about whether we're going to do it my way or your way, when it comes to how we're going to raise our kids, who loses? The kids. At the end of the day, we should be looking at whether, not whether I win this argument or you win this argument, whether or not, how is it that our kids can be best put in a place to succeed in life? How is it that they can win? How is it that we can make sure that our church, our community, uh, our job, our organization, our unit, how can we make sure that we all win as a group? Not about I win, you win, my way, your way. We don't have to choose either or. How do we do this? Uh, other sucker's choice that it brings up is, you know, should I hold my ground or admit your point? See, I even still struggle with that mom who said, Coach Buzz is just getting the kids to love soccer. I'm still ridiculing her for it in my mind, right? Because I still don't want to give in. But honestly, I, ha- I should have in that moment said, you know, you're right. You're right. My kids do love soccer. In the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, but that wasn't soccer but they do. I went to a soccer game just yesterday. Um, should I take the blame or point the finger at you? It's, it's not all one or the other, but we think that they are. It's not all grace or truth. It's not all calling you out. Uh, Warren Wearsby famously said many years ago uh, that all truth without love is brutality. Uh, on the other hand, though, all love without truth is hypocrisy. All love without truth is this part. That's where we say, well, I, I think that, you know, I'm just going to be the love. I'm going to do the loving thing and not tell my friend that decisions he's making in business are going to destroy him and his family. I'll do the loving thing and not say anything. Isn't that a hypocrite? I'm basically lying to your face, acting like I'm your friend, but I'm not friend enough to call it out. But it's also brutal when I just have this attitude and mindset. I just call it like I see it. It's not my job to make you feel good. It's my job to make sure everybody's safe. Who wants to work for that boss, right? It's brutal. You can tell the leadership style is not going to come across very loving or very kind or very grace-filled because they see that their job is not to make friends. It's just to make sure that the ship doesn't sink. Uh, so what do we do? Uh, those two options, by the way, are silence and violence. Either I say nothing or I go ballistic. And that's where that will ultimately lead you, either to silence, I, wanna be, I don't want to ruin my friendship, or violence, I don't care about my friendship. I'm just going to tell you the brutal facts. That's why they call them brutal anyway, because they hurt. So what do we do? Um, well, if you look at uh, Ephesians chapter f- uh, 4, right before he talks about speak the truth in love, the actual the first word of, of verse 16 is instead speak the truth in love. Uh, in other words, there's one way that it typically goes down and typically happens, which people are expecting. He says, instead do the opposite, speak the truth in love. And so he talks in there about how what will end up happening and on this path towards maturity, uh, it'll get derailed by some people who want to come in and just make people feel good about whatever decision they're making. And so they'll teach a false gospel. They won't actually tell the truth. They'll just tell people everything they want to hear. The other problem that's going to come in is there's going to be people who speak the truth, but they do it with the wrong motives. 
Uh, and, and what it is is I'm, I'm going to tell the truth because I, wanna, I want me to feel better about myself than you. That was the problem with the whole church institution when Jesus came along. Uh, the Pharisee group, who was the, basically the church leadership of the day, they wanted to feel better about themselves and their rightness with God by making you feel horrible about yourself. And so, so often we're, we're, we're teaching truth only because I want to feel better about myself. Or I'm pointing out your parenting problems. Why? Because I want to assert myself as the better parent so we should do things my way. Uh, I'm pointing out what you're doing wrong. Why? Because I want everybody to do things my way. I was going around to the parents, talking to them about how bad Coach Buzz was because I want to coach Buzz to coach my way. Because after all, I wouldn't say I know more about soccer than a guy who grew up in England, but I sure felt like it. I want everybody to think it. And so oftentimes our motives and speaking the truth are off. And so he says, motives are an issue. Now, how do you feel when somebody brings you correction? Do you feel loved? Do you feel affirmed? Somebody calls you out and says, you know, your behavior is really a detriment to our children. Mm. Love you too, hon. <laughs> you know, it's talks like this that get me up in the morning and just say, I love being married to you. <laughs> that doesn't happen, right? Instead, what usually happens? Oh, you think you're perfect, don't you? Oh, well, don't you just have all the answers? What's going on there? I'm questioning your motive as a defensive mechanism when you're having that we-need-to-talk moment. Like, do we need to talk about the fact that you went off on the kids yesterday? We really do, because that was a detriment to the kids. And that's not going to help them grow up in a safe and loving environment and accomplish our purposes. We need to have that talk. But when I have the talk, you think I'm just doing it because I feel like I'm a better parent than you. Uh, so what are we doing here? Well, so often, whether you're on the love side or the truth side, when you go to have the we need to talk, what are you focused on? It's an obvious question. What we need to talk about, right? What we need to talk about is your behavior yesterday. That's why we need to talk. You did this, you shouldn't have done this, and we need to talk about this so that you don't do that anymore. Right? That's what we're going to talk about. Do you ever think about what you don't want to say or what you don't want to communicate or what you aren't saying in that moment? See, so often we focus on what we do want to communicate. We forget to focus on what we don't want to communicate. And when I do want to communicate that this was a sin needs to be corrected, what I don't want to communicate is there's no room for grace. What I don't want to communicate is that I'm done with you. What I don't want to communicate is, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Get lost. Get out of my life. You're an absolute horror to this family. You're no good here anymore. You're not accepted, and you won't be loved until you changed. Does anybody want to communicate that? No. But do you know what gets communicated when you don't communicate that you don't want to communicate that? Did you follow that? <laughs> that. That's the message that they hear, is it not? Because when somebody comes in and calls you out and says, we need to talk about this, you instantly feel well, you don't love me, you think you're better than me, and you're telling me I'm no good as a human being, and I have no part in this family anymore. Or you don't even want me to work here anymore. Well, maybe I should just quit then. So what do you do? Um, well, uh, one is you up front talk about the motives. Uh, you talk about what you do want to communicate and what you don't want to communicate. Make sure I get this right out of my notes because uh, I changed something before this, this passage. Um, you do want to affirm your love, your commitment um, that you have to them. I'm committed to you. I love being your dad. I'm glad you're part of this team. I've seen your best work. 
uh, Ian, I know this isn't your best work. That's why we hired you, because we saw your portfolio and what you're capable of. Uh, you know God does this in the Old Testament? Everywhere you'll read in the Old Testament of a word of correction or of judgment on sin, the very next verse will be a message of hope or restoration or God's commitment to you. Every single time. I've yet to find one. I've, I chose not to do a PhD. If I did, it would be on that topic because I've never seen anybody research this, but I've never found anything against it. I just noticed this one day. I was like, I was, it was a moment I was reading, when I, back when, it, when I read through the Old Testament, I just happened to kept seeing every single time this message of judgment, the very next verse. Like many of you all uh, may have heard Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We write that on graduation speeches. We write that as an encouragement to everybody. Do you know the context of that? The context of that is right before God gives the most severe punishment he's given in the entire Old Testament on God's people happens right before that. Uh, If you go back to um, chapter 27 is where the judgment is pronounced. Um, God gives sort of a preview of Jeremiah 29, 11 right there in 27. Then in chapter 28, he goes through how he is sick and tired of the lying false prophet that was there talking to the people that misled him down the wrong path. And then right after that, he gives the message through Jeremiah, his true prophet, which is a message of hope, restoration, and, and, and salvation. And so in Jeremiah 27, it says this, um, y'all are going to be sent to Babylon, and you're going to remain there until I come back for you, declares the Lord. In other words, you're going to sit in a timeout for 70 years. And he's, but before he finishes that, he says, and then I will bring you back and I will restore you to this place. See right there. It's judgment, restoration. And then he expounds on the restoration piece in Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay, you're going to be there for 70 years. So get used to it. Invest in the city where you're at. This isn't going to be a short time. But listen, trust me. I know the plans I have for you. This isn't your future. This is your now. This isn't your future. I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll bring you back out of this. There's that God's commitment and love in the midst of that. He's punishing them, but he's also telling them of his love. Um, so some of you all call this, uh, in some of the psychology books, they call this do, don't, or contrasting. Uh, some of you all call this every rose has a thorn, right? Just like every cowboy has a sad, sad song. Um, <laughs> so you need to affirm your love for them, and you need to preempt their questioning of your motives. When you go to confront somebody with a we need to talk, you need to preempt their assumption of your motives, and you need to affirm your love or your commitment or your relationship with them, whatever that may be, okay? You may say, well, I gotta call out my ex. I don't have a relationship with them. Well, if you still have kids together, you still have some relationship, and so you affirm. You and I are both committed to raising these children, when we brought them into the world, that was a commitment both of us made, and we continue that commitment. And I know we're going to co-parent, we're going to do this together. Here's something we need to talk about. See? We talked about our affirmation of this. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm setting myself as the perfect parent. I don't want you to think that I don't make mistakes. But there was something that came up yesterday with little Johnny, where when he was at your house, this happened. Uh, can you tell me what happened? And see how you went on that? I preempted the motive, and I preempted the commitment issue, and then talked about what the issue was. Uh, Here's a couple examples of this. Um, When Jesus uh, calls out the rich young ruler, this is a guy who says, I got it all down, I'm doing everything I need to do, and all he's looking for Jesus to do is to rubber stamp him. And Jesus is looking at him like, no, you're on the path to hell. You're not going, you don't have eternal life, because you don't have a relationship with God. And this is where he says to him, sell everything you got, then come follow me. And it says the guy went away sad, 
because he couldn't part with his money because his money was more important to him than God. Um, I mentioned that that whole thing was in the I Am Essential series, I think, a couple weeks ago. Um, there's this little moment, though, where the guy writing the story says, right before, it, where, right before Jesus tells him the brutal truth, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, I recognize that the Bible doesn't tell us everything that Jesus said and did. It gives us like the highlights. I don't know what he did to love him in that moment. But whatever way that that was communicated or said to him, it was said with this sense of love and commitment. Think about it. Jesus is saying, I want you to be one of the disciples. That's how much I believe in you and am committed to you. You are this close to having it all together. I could really use you on my team. However, there's one thing that's keeping you from your greatest potential, and that's got to be addressed. And the guy went away sad because he, he wasn't willing to give it up. So what's this look like? Here's some practical examples. Uh, where's my practical examples? Oh, I just lost them all. There they are. I'd like to talk to you about what happened yesterday. I don't want to come across like I'm the perfect parent. I don't want you to feel as though you're not a good mother because you're a great mother. Um, and I'm committed uh, to finding a solution to how we can work this out. But we need to talk about your outburst yesterday towards the kids. I don't want to come across as paranoid or controlling. I've always trusted you, but I do want to talk about how lately I've felt like you've been hiding some things from me. I don't want you to feel that I'm saying you're doing a bad job. I brought you into this company and give you projects like this because you're amazing at your job. I just want to talk about how some of the work you've sent in recently looks rushed, and I know it's not your best work. I don't want you to think I'm always coming down on you. You're a great kid. I'm proud to be your dad. I love your work ethic. I love seeing you explore your artistic talents. But we need to talk about the colorful language you used yesterday when you talked to your mother. This is how God's loved you. He says, you're, you're my workmanship. You're my masterpiece. You were created to do good works. I love you more than anything else in the whole wide world. But to go and leave your life of sin. Don't do this anymore. And that's what this table we're going to be uh, sharing and represents. We join with you to close out our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace that you show over us. I thank you, Lord, that no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we fail, you're the God of another chance and another chance and another chance. Father, I thank you that you never back down from calling out sin for what it is. It's this destructive power in our life and in our relationships and in our soul. But I also thank you, Father, that that doesn't mean you ever love us any less. That I'm just as much loved by you when I've had my best week as when I've had my worst week. In the midst of all of my shame and in the midst of the, my greatest boast, your love for me remains the same. Your exhortation is never to earn your love, but simply live a life worthy of one who's been loved so much. So, Father, may we love others like this. We would love them enough to speak the truth and risk our relationship with them. But do it in such a way, Father, we preserve the relationship too. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.